Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Endgame. Endgame. If you are any kind of Marvel fan at all whatsoever, you waited far too long to see this movie. Far too long. Like, we, do you realize that we waited for over a decade, spending dollar after dollar watching movie after movie just to get to the end? Finally, to finally get to the end, the finale, the crescendo, the, 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 the big end to see finally what happens to the Avengers and Thanos at the end. But see, to truly understand Endgame and its importance and how beautiful, really, of an ending and masterpiece it is, you have to go back to the movie before Infinity Wars to truly understand all of it. See, Thanos, who is the big purple guy that snapped his fingers and nothing happened, just for those of you who don't keep up with Marvel, the big purple guy is Thanos. He's the bad guy, just in case you couldn't figure it out. Like, so he's, he's the bad guy. He's traveling across all the universe to all the galaxies trying to find these infinity stones. Because if he can find these infinity stones and put them in his glove, and if he snaps his fingers, half of the entire universe's population disappears in an instant. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, that sounds like a party. Like, or like, like, like can I choose who gets to go? Like, do I get the opportunity to choose? Or some of you may be on the, on the train of, Lord, take me now. Just send me on. Let me turn to dust. I'll be fine. Let me go. But the, the idea, though, is horrible. That you can't choose. You don't know who's going to go. You don't know if you're going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's in a panic. Everybody's in fear. And then all of a sudden, they call in the Avengers. Right? They call in this team of Avengers. And it's not just like the typical Avengers. No, 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 no. We've done called in Guardians of the Galaxy. We've done called in everybody from every movie and every comic that's ever existed, pretty much. We're bringing everybody in, all these different people, all these different walks of life, all these different histories, all these different experiences, all these different, yeah, like you, all these different people, all these different, all these different things that they've, they've done, they, things that they recognize have different ideas. We bring them all together in one place to try to figure out how to end this thing and how to fix this thing, and nobody can agree and decide on what to do next. Everybody has their own idea. Everybody has their own thing, so they all decide to split up and go do their own thing. They all go try their own way, and ultimately, they all end up failing. You bring all these people together, different backgrounds, different, different experiences, different thought processes, different everything. Bring them together to, to unify, to, to defeat this one goal, to find this one solution, and they can't figure it out how to work together. Sound familiar? So, I think it sounds very familiar today. See, I think, church, one thing that we need to realize is we're a lot like, more like the Avengers than we think. We are a lot like the Avengers in the last two movies, the Infinity Wars and Endgame. We're a lot like them. We have a lot of hope, too, to be like the Avengers. But see, just like the Avengers, we have an enemy, and we need to realize and understand that we have an enemy. You see, 
<clears throat> it, says, it says here, sorry, it says here uh, in John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, there is an enemy that wants to destroy your life. He wants to have a terrible life. He wants to end you. But do you realize that his great, one of the greatest tricks that he ever pulled was to make us believe that he never existed, that he was never real, or, or disguise himself on us to forget that he does. We have an enemy. Now, look, look, understand, I don't believe that there is a demon under every rock. A lot of times I believe our greatest enemy is ourselves. Okay, I'm, I'm not the guy that, who gets upset and blames the devil in the morning because I don't have gas in my car because I forgot to put gas in it the night before. Right? Like, I'm not, I'm not the guy that blames the enemy because my accounts are the negative because I forgot I used my red card at Target. Right? Like, I don't believe that the devil is, you know, taking away my blessing because... I used it on Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't believe that there's a demon under every rock. But, I, but just because I don't believe that, and just because I also believe that my, I am myself my greatest enemy, I don't want that, those facts to take away from the fact that there is indeed an enemy. I don't want that to confuse you. I don't want to take away from the fact that he does exist and that he is um, working against, against us. C.S. Lewis said this. Great authors, T.S. Lewis said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So it's both and. Like, there, there, there is an enemy, but we're also our own responsibility, right? So there are things that we do to ourselves, but then there's also an enemy who is looking to steal, kill, and destroy we have to come to that reality. But the other reality is, is that the enemy's tactics have never changed. His tactics have remained the same since the beginning of time. And that tactic that he uses is this, simply this, division. He uses division. Mark chapter 3, verse 25 says this, If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And it's so true. If you have a couple that is divided against itself, guess what? The marriage isn't going to last. If you have a team that is divided, it's going to fall. Like, the devil knows, the enemy knows that if he can create division, just enough division, he can win out in the end because we will fall. And how does he create division? What he uses is a simple recipe. He uses fear and blame. Fear and blame. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. It says, be alert and of sober mind. The, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, something you may not know about me is I'm pretty nerdy, okay? Like, but I'm nerdy specifically, like, about animals and stuff like that. Like, if you get past the denim jacket and the shoes and all that stuff, you find an animal nerd. Like, it's like so much so that when I was on my honeymoon, we were in Florida, like, literally day two, like, first thing in the morning, I'm like, oh, like, oh we got cable. Oh, Discovery Channel. Like, I'm, I'm looking for animals. My wife's like, what is wrong with you? We're in Florida. Like, we can go see actual animals. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to learn about these animals. And I'm, the one thing I've noticed, then every single documentary, every single thing that I have watched about lions is that they don't go roaring around when they're hunting. Lions are silent hunters. Lions don't go, hey, antelope, I'm going to eat you. Stay right there. Like, they don't go around making their presence known. Lions stalk in the grass and hide until they can come up and ambush their prey. 
So I'm looking at this scripture, and I'm like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Like, I know your word is true, but God, your, your servant who wrote this must have got something wrong. That's not how that works. But then I realized that when we're talking about the enemy, the enemy isn't going to chase you. The enemy's not coming after you. All the enemy wants to do is cause fear. He wants to make the presence known. If he can roar loud enough to get you to be afraid, he can paralyze you. If he can, if he can roar loud enough to get you afraid, he can paralyze you. And then from when he, and once he has you paralyzed, he can whisper in your ear who to blame. He can give you an out of who, whose fault is it that you're paralyzed right now. He's been doing this for since the beginning of time. You know, one thing I love about movies are the soundtracks. I love music, okay, first of all. But nothing makes a good movie great like a soundtrack, okay? Like, remember the first bat- original Batman movie with Prince on the soundtrack? Woo! That thing was bad. And then Lord of the Rings. Like, Lord of the Rings had one of the greatest soundtracks ever. It was just nothing but, oh. Like, but it was amazing, right? Like, we were attached to, like, to that. But I can't tell you how many times, how much I know about Moana because my son loves the soundtrack of Moana. Like, I'm up in here doing, like, all that kinds of stuff just because my son loves the soundtrack. A good soundtrack helps us understand deeper what's happening in the movie. A good soundtrack moves the story along. It helps us realize where we are. And what I've come to realize is that our lives and the lives from the very beginning, there's, always, there's been a soundtrack that follows. Every decade, there's always, a, there's always a voice that tends to rise above the rest and sing, creates a song that is about our society and about the way they view things in our society. And they tend to be accurate. And... I've noticed, I started to research this and started going through all the decades, and it really is true. Now, I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm not going to sing these songs, okay? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm also not going to read every lyric to every song because I did that for the online service and realized, wow, that took a while. So the Lord loves you, and he brought to my realization that I'm not going to do that, okay? So, but every generation, every decade, there seems to be a song that pops up or an album that pops up that gives a really good soundtrack to what's going on in our society. Recently, there was, a, there, uh, there was a, an album created by a, a rapper named Kendrick Lamar. He came out with an album called To Pimp a Butterfly. Now, for some of you, that sounds really stupid. <laughs> but... Like, to understand the actual album, the whole album was about our society and about where we are and about how he felt, about how he grew up and what was going on in our society. But then I took it back a little bit to 2003. 2003 seemed like a good time for me. I mean, I loved music back then because, you know, I was a kid. So, but, and I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics of these songs. But then I remember, remember this one song. What's wrong with the world, mama? Uh, Anybody know that song? Yes. Okay, yes. All right. I understand I'm off key, okay? He's like, bear with me. Singing was not my gifting, all right? Like the Lord said, you can talk, just don't uh -uh, don't sing, all right? So I don't. So specifically in that song back in 2003, Where's the Love by, yes. You don't remember that song? You're going to learn it today. Um, where, by Black Eyed Peas, in 2003, Where is the Love? I just want to read you these lyrics. And 
because I think a lot of us remember that song and enjoyed the song, but I don't think we really truly understood the gravity of what was trying to be said in that song. And I think it describes a lot of society, even today, what we deal with. So I'm just going to read these to you. I say, what's going, what's going on in the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think they're all distracted by the drama and attracted to the trauma. I think they don't understand the concept or the meaning of karma. Overseas, yeah, they try to stop terrorism. Over here on, on the streets, the police shoot the people, the, put the bullets in them. But if you only got love for your own race, then you're going to leave space for others to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you, but you are bound to get irate. Madness is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how hate works and operates. Man, we got to set it straight. Take control of your mind and just meditate and let your soul just gravitate to the love. So the whole world will celebrate it. People killing, people dying, children hurting, I hear them crying. Can you practice what you preaching and turn the other cheek again? Mama, 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 tell us what the heck is going on. Can't we all just get along? Father, father, help us send some guidance from above because people got me questioning, where is the love? It just ain't the same. Old ways have changed. New days are strange. Is the world insane? Nation dropping bombs, killing our little ones, ongoing suffering as the youth die young. Where's the love when a child gets murdered or a cop gets knocked down? Black lives, not now. Everybody matter to me. All races. Y'all don't like what I'm saying. Haterade, tall cases. Just for those of you who don't know what haterade is, it just means you hate a lot, okay? There's a lot of hate in you. So everybody hates somebody. I guess we're all racist. Black Eyed Peas doing a song about love, and y'all hate this. All these protests with different colored faces. We was all born with a heart. Why we got to chase it? And every time I look around, every time I look up, and every time I look down, no one's on common ground. And if you never speak the truth, then you never know how love sounds. And if you never know love, then you never know God. Wow. I'm going to repeat that. If you never know love, then you never know God. Wow. Where's the love, y'all? I don't, I don't know. Where's the truth, y'all? I don't know. That I, when I was a kid, I sang that song so much, like, right? I sang it, I, like, and to be honest, I was more like singing the chorus, and then when the rap part came on, you know, like, you know, like, you just kind of go with the beat and <laughs> figure it out. But when I started reading these lyrics, I was like, wow, like, that is an actual, like, representation of what was going on and how the enemy works, right? He's literally talking about how literally everybody's looking around at each other, finding reasons to hate each other and blame each other for what's going on. And it's, a, and it's the same exact tactic that the enemy was using before that Kendrick Lamar was talking about. And then if you actually just keep on going throughout history, it's the same exact thing. 1992, Tupac, the song changes. Yes, I used to listen to Tupac when I was a kid, all right? Like, sorry, Mama. Like, you know, but t- I, Tupac changes. Then you go back even a little bit farther than that, and to 1983, you have Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2. Nin- uh, 1979, you have... Pink Floyd, ain't Pink Floyd fans in here? Nah, I knew there had to be at least one. There's always at least one. At least one Pink Floyd fan. The Wall, showing the, 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 the thoughts and the division between students, teachers, and the government. In 1971, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye wasn't just for married people. He also had other messages. 1971, what's going on? 1963, um, Bob Dylan, blowing in the wind. 
Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. And he just keeps on going and going and going all the way back to Adam and Eve. The soundtrack is the same. The game is the same. Adam and Eve are in the garden living a perfect life. God tells them, you can do anything you want. Just don't eat of that tree over there. That's all you got to do. Everything's good. And then one day, Adam and, Eve is, Adam and Eve are walking through the garden. They're like, you know what? Let's go walk by the tree God told us not to go walk by. So they go over to it. And then when they're, when they're there, Eve is checking it out. Like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to look at it. Like, it just looked kind of shiny. <laughs> you know? It looks good. And then all of a sudden, the serpent speaks to her and plants, a, plants fear in her mind that the reason why he, she can't eat this is because God's holding out on her. There's something that God is, is holding out from her. So she takes it and eats it, hands it to Adam. Adam's like, okay. <laughs> he eats it too. And suddenly they realize sin enters the world, and they realize that they are naked and in sin. So God comes and look, goes looking for them. He's like, Adam, where you at, boy? Where you at, homie? And Adam, Adam comes out. He's got, he's got leaves on him, covered himself up. He's like, God's like, what are you doing? You know, God already knew. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, and the first thing Adam does, first thing Adam does, well, this woman you gave me, this, it's all her fault. Now, look, what he did there, what he didn't even realize he did was he did not just blame her, but he blamed God. That fear in his mind took him to a point, and the, the enemy whispered just enough in his ear to where he blamed God for giving him the woman who gave him the fruit. So then he goes to Eve, and Eve says, well, that serpent you made. Fear again. Blame. Blame the serpent. Blame God for creating the serpent. Blame. The enemy has been using the exact same tactics from the beginning of time. And we have fallen for it over and over and over and over and over again. Every decade, over and over and over again. We have fallen for the enemy's plans so, for so long. Fear and blame have become indoctrinated in us for so long that the church has been made weakened and even paralyzed because of division. I had, you know, when I was doing this and I was going through and I'm praying, like, first of all, I'm praying, like, God, why do we have to talk about this? <laughs> I was like, I'm praying. And I'm like, God, is there even any hope? Is there even any hope? Is there any hope that we can change? Because we've, if we've been falling for it for so long, God, if we've been doing the same, running in the same circles, chasing our tails for so long, is there any hope? And the truth is, the answer came back a resounding yes, there is hope. Yes, there is absolutely hope. See, just like for the Avengers, the Avengers in, in the uh, endgame, they find a way to go back in time. They find a way to create this portal where they can go back in time and start over. But for us, fortunately for us, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are believers in Jesus Christ, and we follow him, we have the renewing, regenerative, and recreating power of Jesus. Jesus says we don't have to go back in time. We can start over right now. I forgive your sins right now. I, it's not tomorrow. It's not, we don't have to go back in time and redo everything. Right now, I have forgiven and forgotten and thrown your sins as far as the east is from the west, and we can fix everything right now. We can do everything together right now. So let's come with me. Let's go back in time, and let's start over. What do we do now? What do we do now? First off, we have to, we have to come together in unity. We have to to unify. We have to come together. How do we do that? How do we come, to, come together? First off, we need to understand who the real enemy is. 
We need to understand who the real enemy is. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. See, we don't fight against one another. We don't fight against an actual physical enemy. What we're fighting against is spiritual. You see, the thing is, much like, much like the Avengers, Jesus brought together a group of people, a group of guys together that had way different backgrounds, different political views, and way different experiences. Okay? Check, just, let's just take a look at Jesus' disciples real quick. This, this, it blows my mind. Okay? First off, we have Matthew, who was a tax collector. Basically, was like the Roman mafia. Like, he was, he, was, he was the bad dude. Like, he was the guy that was raising taxes, doing taxes on people, taking his cut that was illegal. Like, he was, not, he was not something that the Jewish people, someone that the Jewish people liked. Then you had Simon the Zealot. Zealots were, like, extremists. He was like, he's like, yeah, I'm Jew. I'm so Jew, I'll go blow a building up because I'm a Jew. Like, he's, like, extreme to his, in his beliefs, right? Then we have uh, Bartholomew, who was of royal blood. So he was probably, like, looking at, he's probably a little more educated, a little more like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, like, do y'all even speak English? Like, or whatever they, whatever they spoke. He's like Hebrew. He's like, what is wrong with y'all? What is going on? He's probably a little more, a little more chill. Then we have Judas, who is a violent Jewish nationalist. He's like Israel first, Jews first, and we are first. Everybody else, I could care less about. It's all about us and our nation first. And then everybody else were fishermen. And we're not just talking about regular fishermen here. We're talking about like Peter, who was like a gangster fisherman. Okay, Peter was like, I'll cut your ear off and cuss you out and then tell your mama I did it. Like he like we're talking about like crazy gangster fishermen here. And this and he brought all these people together in unity together to to fight one common enemy. He brought them together. Now, this is what I need you to understand. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that you need to drop all of your beliefs, your belief systems. I'm not telling you you need to drop those things that make you who you are. But I'm telling you is that Jesus brings everyone to the table. He brought people from all different spectrums, all different sides of the political spectrum, all different sides of experiences, wealth, all that stuff. Brought them all together to be unified in one cause together. He brought them all in, not, be, not because he wanted them to be the same, but because he knew they were different. And they had something different to bring to the table together. See, our enemy is not the Republicans. It's not Democrats. It's not white, black, or immigrants. It's not a government. Our enemy is of the spiritual nature. And, it, the, and the people that we are currently fighting against all the time are our brothers and sisters. And we, God has a purpose for every single person and has brought us all together to the table because he wants to use us for his purpose and his glory. I thought about in college, um, my freshman year, I was a little bit of a punk. Uh, you can ask Pastor John. I was a little bit of a punk, a uh, little bit of a, uh, had a little bit of high-ish, uh, bit of narcissism, you know, a little bit of, I was a little cocky. A little arrogant or whatever, but I was still I was still awesome. Okay, all right, I was still awesome. Telling the truth, you know, um, we had a guys' dorm and a girls' dorm, right? And we were all part of this one leadership program. And the girls' house, the girls, the freshman girls could not figure out how to get along. Shocker, they <laughs> they, they couldn't figure out how to get along at all whatsoever. So they decided to come up with a pact. They said, you know what? We're all going to pick one person. And we're going to all hate that person 
Because if we all hate the same person, we can't hate each other. So who'd they choose? Me. Now, I know what you're thinking now, Pastor Christian. How could they all hate you? Exactly. 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 What come to find out with a little bit of Jesus and some charm, that pact fell apart pretty quickly, if I can say, in Jesus' name. Okay? They tried to hate your boy, but they couldn't because, guess what? Their enemy wasn't flesh and blood. Their enemy wasn't me. So when once they fell apart with me, they tried to pick another person and pick another person and pick another person. Eventually, they decided, well, we're just going to have to hate each other. But they, what they didn't realize is that their enemy wasn't each other. Their enemy was, was the devil. Because why? Because they were brought to a Bible college in a leadership program because God had called them to greater things. And the enemy was threatened by that and wanted to cause division because if he could get them to be divided, he knew that they would never reach the goals that God had for them because they would be too distracted, living in fear and blame to be able to reach the things that God had called them to do. The next thing is we have to know the end game. It's a whole lot easier for us to put aside our differences and work together when we know the end game. One of, two of the great, one of the greatest duos to ever play basketball, Shaq and Kobe. Come on, somebody. Any Lakers fans in the house? Woo -woo. Wow, that was a lot less than I thought. Okay. Man, all right. So Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe were one of the greatest duos ever. They couldn't stand each other off the basketball court. But when the coach brought them together and was like, we, look, we need to find out how to work together because we want to win championships, not just a ship. We want to win championships. When they got on the basketball court, they figured things out. They won championship after championship. And I can only, we, they say that we can only imagine how many championships they would have won if they didn't let their division off the court get on the court. If they could have just thought about the, kept in front of them the one goal who knows how many championships they could have won together. See, for us, we just, we, we, one of the things we need is to know the end game. And for us, the end game is just simply this. We need to come together and we need to let the world know who Jesus is. Our end game is to let the world know that there is a Savior who came in the form of a man, lived a perfect life, and died the death that we all deserve to die, but then rose again, defeated death, hell, and the grave, so that way we could be reunited with him in heaven. Our, our end game, our job is to make Jesus famous across the world. And that is something that we, as followers of Christ, should easily come around. That is something that we should all easily come around and understand that that is the end game and unify on that note. The next thing we have to do is we have to love fiercely, even to death. Love fiercely, even to death. One of my favorite characters in the Marvel series is Iron Man. Partly because, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is awesome, right? But another thing is, is that he's, you know, he's witty, he's sarcastic, he might sound a lot like me, and I can really enjoy myself, like, you know, pattern. So, like, I really enjoy him. But one thing I loved about the movie Endgame, at the end there, he creates a glove that can hold all the stones, and he rips the stones out of Thanos' hands onto his. And Thanos says, I am inevitable. And then he says, I am Iron Man. And snaps his fingers. What they don't show is that Iron Man, his heart isn't real. 
it's, it's fabricated, it's a machine. And the power surge from the snapping of the fingers was so great that it kills him. And he knew it would. And he knew it would. See, the thing is about what Iron Man did there, Iron Man didn't do it just for his friends. Iron Man was loving the universe fiercely. And it reminds me of Jesus. I know Iron Man and Jesus in the same sentence is just weird. But Jesus, when he was on that cross, he wasn't dying just for his friends. He wasn't dying just for his disciples. He wasn't dying just for his mom. He wasn't dying just for the Jews. He was dying for the entire world. He was dying for those who were before him and those who were coming after him. He was dying so that we could all be saved. He loved fiercely even to death. And I think we have to ask ourselves the same thing. Would, do I love my neighbor fiercely enough even to death? Do I love those around me, those who I argue with on Facebook enough for me to die for them? I think we have to ask ourselves that question. You know, John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, when it comes to weddings and stuff, a lot of times we quote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And a lot of times we skip right to the middle, the cute part, and we leave out the front end and the back end. But I think the front end and the back end are so important for us as a church, so important for us as a church family to read and to follow when it comes to love. It says this. It says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We have to choose to love. Anybody will tell you, even in a marriage, a lot of times you have to choose to love them. There are some things that I get on my wife's nerves so bad that I know she has to choose to love me. Especially when I take my socks and I put them right beside the clothing bin, the dirty clothes bin. I know, lady, I heard some ladies say, come on. Like, I know, look, we all sinners, okay? Look, like, we all fall short. Like, you know, just a couple inches short of the basket. But, I know, I know that when that happens, like, she has to choose to love me in that moment because she could kill me. 
Like, I mean, like legitimately good, right? But we have to do the same thing with the rest of the body of Christ, with those around us. We have to choose, even though we see things differently, we have to choose to love one another in Jesus' name. You see, the next thing that we have to do is storm. And this word storm is, is powerful. I want you to understand, this is a verb, not the noun, storm. The church has been victimized for far too long. The church has been far, far, far too reactive and not proactive. Fear has paralyzed us, and it's become so easy to shift the blame to someone else. It's time for us to storm. On my arms, I have, I have tattoos on my arms, and we can talk about tattoos some other time. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. We can talk about them some other time. But on my arms, on one arm it says, tear it to, and the other one says, the ground. And people often ask me, like, okay, what, is, what does that mean? And I'll, and I'll tell them that it's actually a reminder for me of a very important a scripture verse that's very important to me. And it's this right here, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. And this is Jesus talking to Peter, and it says this, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What I, this, this scripture has stuck with me for such a long time because so many times the church and we as Christians and as Christ followers, we're always on the defensive. We're always on this defensive side, like the, the devil is after me. The enemy is trying to attack me. They're coming after me. But the scripture says that they're behind a gate. That if the enemy is sitting behind fences. The reality is, is that the enemy is sitting behind a fence in defense, just making noise and whispering at us, and we think they're attacking. But the reality is the church needs to go on the offensive. It's time for the church to wake up, unite, and go on the offensive, just like the Avengers. The Avengers finally woke up, everyone united, and attacked and stormed Thanos and his army. We need to go, and we, it's time for us to unite and storm our cities, storm the gates, storm everything in love, and tear down the walls that divide us. Tear down the things the enemy has built up to create division. Tear down these walls. It is time for us to unite and go on the offensive. It's time for the church to tear down tear down the gates with love. It's time for us to love our neighbor fiercely. It's time for us, instead of reacting to abortion or abortion laws, it's time to love on mothers and support them. It's time for us to value all lives. It's time for us to react to gang violence. It's time for us to take care of our brothers and sisters and lead the way in love and help a generation see that there is another way. It's time for us to stand up against what is wrong, but pray for those who are making the decisions. It's time for the church to take a stand for what it is for instead of to just reacting to what it's against. It's time for the church to go on the offensive and storm the gates with love. You know, one thing I love about this movie, Endgame, is that when we were at the end of Infinity Wars, we were left wondering if there was hope. We were left wondering what was going to happen because at the end of Infinity Wars, he snapped his fingers and half of the galaxy is gone. And we're like, what are they going to do? Half of the Avengers are gone. What are we going to do? Like, we already saw what happened when, like, half of them tried to fight him. They got, they got whooped. What are we going to do? But then that, once you find out through Endgame is that there's still hope. And this thing is the thing. There has never been a greater time of division, but there's also never been a greater opportunity. 
There's never been a greater opportunity to love. There's never been a greater opportunity to heal. There's never been a greater opportunity to forgive. And there's never been a greater opportunity to make Jesus famous. There's never been a greater opportunity than for us, than right now than for us to show the love of Christ and make him famous. Church, will you stand up with me this morning? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.